For non-musicians, the experience of music is mostly emotional. For musicians, the experience is mostly analytical. What if a musician could be made to hear music again from the mostly emotional perspective of a non-musician, rather than the mostly analytical perspective that's been wrought through decades of musical training? Many musicians, myself included, have become purely analytical music machines, numb to the emotional content of music. When I listen to music, my brain is usually busy figuring out the details of the song. What chords are those? What key are they in? What meter is this song in? What instruments are making those sounds? The analysis never ends. Very rarely do I sit back and just enjoy the way the song is making me feel. I'm pretty sure that most musicians are like me in this sense. Perhaps Neuralink could induce a brain state that dulls the analytical abilities of musicians so that they may hear music from a non-musician's perspective. Now imagine the implications this could have for songwriting and composition. What if Mozart had had a Neuralink implant, and such a state was induced upon him? I'd be pretty interested in hearing what he came up with. On the other hand, imagine a non-musician being able to learn music during the course of one afternoon, Matrix style. Or maybe non-musician concertgoers could be made to understand complex symphonic pieces with all the nuance and comprehension of a master musician. Maybe this technology can be exploited by music venues to manipulate audience members' emotional reactions in sync with the performance. I'm imagining something like an internal light show that goes along perfectly with the music. And maybe these music venues feature artificially intelligent super bands that can improvise and execute music of a superhuman caliber. Artificial intelligence need not be implanted into our brains to have an influence on the future of music. Someday, probably soon, computer scientists will hatch a version of artificial intelligence that will be able to convincingly compose good music. At present, AI can compose but it all sounds quite weird. Google has a research project known as Magenta that is dedicated to creating art using machine intelligence. Magenta composed a piano tune in 2016 by using a neural network, which is a computer system designed to operate like an animal brain. Here's that piano tune, courtesy of the Magenta website. Progress has continued with this project, and a posting on their website from this June 2017 features a piano piece of much greater sophistication. To me, it sort of sounds like the raving doodlings of a madman, but it's hard to deny progress here. The magenta system can make polyphonic music with some manner of expression that is realized by changes in volume during its performance and by using phrasal structures to organize its melodies. 
Its ideas in this area are based upon human conventions of timing and expression. The difference between the 2016 and the 2017 melody is pretty significant, so who knows where this will be in five years. Composers may be out of a job. Okay, now I'm going to move on to considering the future of music through the lens of human preferences and tastes. In particular, I'll take a look at whether the future will impart any change on our system of music theory. It seems to be a cliché assumption that the people of the past would be bewildered and confused by modern music, but I don't think they would be. The only thing that's truly changed is the sounds of the instruments, and the use of things like synthesizers and auto-tune. I took a listen to the top three songs in the world according to the Hot 100 on Billboard.com, which uses radio airplay, data from music streaming services, album sales, and information from the Nielsen Data Measurement Company to configure its list. For the week of October 7, 2017, the top three songs were Bodak Yellow by Cardi B, Rockstar by Post Malone, and Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift. Okay, the Cardi B song, which is one of the worst things I've ever heard, consists of a song-length drone in E minor, and a single melodic hook that repeats forever and ever, while a caustic, smug woman spouts a rap about how great she is and how much money she makes at the clubs. And the Post Malone song, which is somewhat better than the Cardi B song, still only has a two-chord progression, and it never changes. It goes E-flat, G minor, E-flat, G minor, ad infinitum. And the lyrics are about having sex with prostitutes, taking pills, and threatening the use of an Uzi. The Taylor Swift song, which is also pretty bad, but a little better than the others, at least lyrically, is comprised of a chordless drum beat for the verses and the four-chord hit-the-road-jack chord progression for the choruses. The lyrics are about how she doesn't like some odious person and how she got wise in the nick of time. None of the songs have a bridge, and all three are repetitive to the point of tediousness. I can imagine Beethoven analyzing the Cardi B song. Von chord E minor, yeah? Mi fa la, mi fa la. Why is that woman talking over the music? These top three songs should make clear that most people prefer simple music to complex extravaganzas of theoretical experimentation. So the notion that music theory is going to move on to some higher and more evolved territory in the future is simply delusional. I think the music of the future is going to sound basically the same as the music of the present, which is only superficially different from the music of the past. This is due to the enduring nature of music theory, which by and large has remained unchanged since Greek and Roman times. There's been some tweaking and adjustments made, of course, but basically it's the same. This interval, the octave, this interval, the perfect fifth, and the pitch set known as the major scale are foundational structures to most music made on earth. 
and this is not likely to change. I'd be really surprised if the Hot 100 starts to feature songs based on the tritone and the whole tone scale. Music theory is similar to grammar in this way. At bottom, both music theory and grammar are descriptivist theories. This means that they describe what is going on instead of prescribing what should be going on. It's possible that people might start talking like Yoda. Reckless is he. Told you I did. But most people just say, I told you he was reckless. If we were to start talking like Yoda, en masse, then our descriptivist grammar would shift to describe it. So too with music theory. But it's not likely that we're going to ditch the octave or the major scale. Music theory developed to maturity during the common practice period of the 17th and 18th centuries. The term common practice period refers to the harmonic and melodic conventions that people find and continue to find aesthetically pleasing. This period in music is commonly referred to as classical music. It includes musical superstars such as Mozart, Beethoven, and Haydn. In addition to classical music, jazz and popular music also rely heavily on the theories developed during the common practice period. 20th century music saw the advent of atonalism, which was a form of music so dissonant and alien that it can only be accurately described as an audible equation. Almost no listeners find this sort of music compelling. It appears only to be interesting to those that can create it and a select few connoisseurs. If you view atonal music as successful, then you have a warped idea of success and reality. I've yet to meet a non-musician who finds anything of value here. Now, I agree that such music often finds a home in horror movies, but most people don't listen to horror movie music for enjoyment. Its only value, in my opinion, is that it can increase one's blood pressure. So if your goal is to do this to your listeners, or it's to increase their anxiety level, then by all means, kick out the jams with some Arnold Schoenberg or Paul Hindemith. Me, personally? I'll be over here listening to Beethoven, Robert Schumann, and the Beatles. Here's the thing about the tonal music theories developed during the common practice period. These music theories outline a systematic view of the facts about sound and describe the reality of the kind of music that most people enjoy hearing. The techniques figured out during the common practice period will continue to hold sway. Most people just don't like atonal music. This is hardly a controversial position. In fact, it's backed up by comprehensive research done in this area. In 1983, linguist Ray Jackendoff and music theorist Fred Lertle worked out a theory of universal musical grammar for a book they co-wrote called A Generative Theory of Tonal Music. This theory stipulates that, while listening to music, the human brain unfurls an ordered series of cognitive actions designed to automatically discern musical idioms. 
A musical idiom is a sequence of sounds that possesses musical content, such as a melody, a succession of discrete notes, harmony, a simultaneous cluster of consonant notes, and rhythm. repeating pattern of notes or percussive impulses. Human brains organize and interpret these things into hierarchical structures using a universal musical grammar that piggybacks off the cognitive ability for language. The generative theory of musical grammar also stipulates that when specific notes are collected into pitch assemblies called scales, They begin to take on a hierarchical structure in which some notes sound stable and other notes sound unstable. No matter what superficial stylistic direction future music takes, it will almost certainly continue to employ this foundational concept. Another thing that will likely continue to be the same, and another detail figured out by Jackendoff and Lertle, is music's propensity for phraseology. Music's phraseology is determined by dovetailing short groups of notes called motifs into slightly longer strings of notes called phrases into collections of phrases called lines or sections and into collections of sections called movements or songs. This is the part of music theory that relates overtly to our capacity for language. The hierarchy I just outlined is perfectly analogous to letters assembled into words, assembled into phrases, assembled into sentences, assembled into paragraphs, and assembled into articles, books, and blogs. This convention is likely not going to go away. I submit to you that the music of the future is going to be wholly recognizable in today's terms. In my opinion, composers of atonal, microtonal, or avant-garde music might as well be playing Dungeons and Dragons in their underwear. Almost nobody cares about accumulating hit points and defeating fantastical beasts. The most famous modern-day composers those who operate in film, like John Williams, Hans Zimmer, and James Newton Howard, by and large employ the harmonic and melodic principles of the common practice period. They, like modern pop musicians, generally steer clear of music theories that desperately try to reinvent the wheel. If you disagree with me here, then I'll prove it to you. I looked up some YouTube videos for Schoenberg's Perrette Lunier, which is widely regarded to be an atonal masterpiece. One video had 39,000 views, another had 47,000 views, and another had 51,000 views. Some of these videos had been up for five years or more, and not one of them cracked 100,000 views. Then I found the video for Play That Song by the band called Train, which literally uses the melody and chord progression from the song Heart and Soul. The Train song had 27.5 million plays 
and it's only been out for 10 months. In case you think I'm making an unfair comparison between art music and pop music, consider that in Beethoven's day, he was pop music. Today, classical music and jazz basically only exist in the academic departments of universities and colleges. I read somewhere that these styles occupy something like 3% of downloads, streams, and album sales. So if we're going to consider the future of music, we're going to consider the future of music. And this likely doesn't entail something that's being kept on life support in the conservatories. Okay, I think that's all I have on this subject. I hope you got something from listening to this podcast.